You're listening to Live Wild Radio, the part-time adventure podcast. Join us as we explore how outdoor adventures build mind, body, and spirit. So ladies and gentlemen, this is our first remote episode. Anybody that's following us on social media will know that Catherine and I got sick of Canadian weather, hopped on a plane, (laughs) and flew to Las Vegas so we can do some climbing at Red Rocks. We spent the last four days climbing. My hands are so sandstoned out that like literally I have red spots for fingertips. <laughs> On this episode, we're going to be talking to a professional climbing guide, Cody Bradford. I came across him on Instagram because he has his awesome account and he does Tech Tip Tuesdays. So uh, welcome. Yeah. Thanks for having me, team. So I want to say that on our holidays, um, I did my first multi-pitch and it wasn't until I did that that I really appreciate what you do. It's given me a greater appreciation for being safe and rock climbing. And so would you tell us, what do you do? I think if you ask any uh, full-time instructor or guide, they would, it would be a, it's a hard question to answer. So in that light, I'm going to stick to that tradition and um, essentially say that I want to take people's uh, adventures that they want to have, and I want to give them either the uh, or I want to give them the tools to for them to have those adventures or I want to be the tool that allows them to have that adventure and if that is summiting uh, a major peak Grand Teton or um, some big objective in Red Rock then excellent I want to do that and if it is a a skill set that they want to have I want to help them have the context knowledge to for that skill that they can then take out and use in the real world and continue to learn from it. And then I want them to walk away from me and our adventure together, uh, not just as a partner, but also as someone who is now gonna take what they've learned there and then continue to build on that foundation. Or if it was already the, the bricks and mortar of the house above the foundation, well, great, build a roof to it. And so that's the whole goal is for hopefully people to be self-reliant and those who don't necessarily feel that need to be the person that gets to go out and have adventures with them. Tell us more about what drew you to what you're doing today, this lifestyle of adventure. Can you go back to little Cody or when, when, when that <laughs> happened, how that happened? Sure. I think the first time it was, it was much later I mean, I was 18, okay. 19 years old. And at the time I was a musician my whole trajectory was that and uh, through some events and both random and somewhat planned on my own, uh, ended up just completely leaving all of that lifestyle behind, living in a city uh, at the time, which was Greensboro, North Carolina, and deciding that uh, this is also after I quit high school, then went back to high school at a middle college and, and subsequently got my diploma, um, high school diploma and decided for some odd reason that I was really drawn to uh, going to Western North Carolina, which is where the mountains were. It was the only mountains that I really knew. I mean, of course I knew that other big mountain ranges existed, but it was the place that was that really drew me for one reason or another, and I still don't really know why. I mean, I could really trace it back to my, uh, I was adopted and my, and my adoptive dad, who I just consider my dad, since he was mostly the um, individual that raised me, 
um, taking me to a river and I would just throw rocks into the river. And I just remember my first goal setting being how far I could get a rock across the river. And this was in Roanoke, Virginia, where I was born. And I, I think, so maybe you could trace it back to that. But essentially, once I ended up in Boone, I started attending a community college there. And I knew that the culture was rock climbing. And I think at the time, I just really needed a culture. It was a total culture shift for me. And I was fully putting myself where I didn't know anyone or at least very few people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know anything about mountain culture. I didn't know anything about the difference between a knot and a canoe, um, which, uh, uh, you know, really made it tough to establish a community there. And I just, for some reason, I wanted to work outside, so I wanted to work on a farm. And so I met mm-hmm. this individual by the name of Brent Cochran, who owns a a farm called Shady Grove Gardens, which grows flowers primarily, but they also grow produce out of another farm that they have, um, and uh, a farm close to Tennessee on the Tennessee border. And he was this really incredible boater. And I remember walking up to him because he was just the fa- he was the local farm. And I, I don't even remember why I chose him. I think maybe there was an ad that he had posted uh, about needing a farm hand, and I just wanted that for some reason. And I still don't know why. Hmm. But from there, I, I just nervously walked up. I like, I think I like rock climbing and other adventurous stuff. And he's like, oh, well, do you really? And he started asking me all these questions about it. And I was like, I don't know what you're saying. And from there, that individual, by, which who, by the way, has only one leg, but gets around better on one leg and a fake leg, better than mm. most people on two. And he was this incredible whitewater kayaker, um, boater, as I'll say from here on out. And got me into that whole culture and that was really my introduction my big push nice um not just boating but all of it all it was like that was my technical introduction to like how do i access this terrain Mm -hmm. and from there i just met all the people and then from there on out it was this laundry list of steps and random events that just worked me down the road to going out on out on climbing adventures and eventually finding out that wow there's a whole list of these upright upstanding professionals and i've always just loved that sense of order um in terms of uh people who are really good at their job and can really organize and yeah and so that led me down down here and i mean i don't know we'll probably talk about other things about that but essentially that uh, long story made longer that's exactly where that all came from and that, that's actually really kind of interesting you know if you're attracted to the kind of making order out of it sure because the climbing community has always been this kind of almost outlaw dirt bag. <laughs> Not to say that, you know, the, the, the guides become the police. Oh, sure. Um, but it, it is. It's a, it, a thing where if you're going to do it as a job, you've got to be a professional and, and take it seriously. And it, it's interesting just in the sense that it almost runs counter to the way that it is, but it's the way that it's perceived. I, yeah, I think that's a, that's actually an interesting point to, to bring up too, because that's uh, I feel like it's often an internal conflict in myself where I, I have problems with authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think anyone who grew up with me and anyone who knows me personally um, would know that I, I just I have I take issue with people saying that this thing needs to be a certain way within reason, especially if it's not backed up with something. Yeah, I, I'm a big evidence-based person um and 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 so i it is interesting that i i want order but but at the same time having all of this uh 
I always looked at the climbing community and at the time it was the boating community, but, but really, uh, eventually it became the climbing community where those, those, that kind of rebellion of going outside of the norm was really attractive. And I think less so about the sport itself and more about the culture. Yeah. But then within that culture, there is these quote unquote rebels who, I mean, I don't look at necessarily guides as even police. Even I, I've always including myself it's like if anything my colleagues who i work with many of whom have much higher credentials than me um full international federation of mountain guide association certifications uh, are are really they're they're contextual and uh, contextual based tools need to be used for the context that's appropriate Mm -hmm. and often they're the ones teaching me like no you don't need a backup for that munter why would you put a backup on that munter and then i would ask well, because the munter doesn't have a backup. Yeah, but you're only lowering them 20 feet. How long have you been out today? Hasn't it been eight hours? Yeah, you want to get them down. This is only a 20-foot lower, right? What if I gave you a marginal in your exam because you did put a backup on? You know, and it's often yeah. these people, and that's what is so attractive to me about it, is mm-hmm. that there's never a right answer. And for some reason, as much as I love order, I also love that. It, it's not chaos, but I do love that, that well, degree of uncertainty. Well, I think that's one of the the things that I love because yesterday, and the the listeners will know Ryan because they've heard a few episodes with him on, I think. Um, He and I went and did a a multi-pitch route in Red Rocks yesterday. Um, The plan was to get him to his airplane on time, which would have meant we were back at the trailhead at 6 p.m. And we got back at the trailhead at 10 p.m., which turned it into a 15-hour day. Uh, and so he did not get his plane on time. Um, he got it today instead, and he had a, a adventure that he will have be able to tell stories about. But to Cody's point, <laughs> there there's um, definitely wrong ways to do things, but there's a bunch of right that's ways to do it. Uh, that's also true, yeah. you know. And that that's one of the things that that I find fascinating because you you have to, especially in, I find like bigger multi-pitch or in mountain environments, um, that classic three bomber anchors set up, dot, 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 and distributed load and no equal, you know, no extension and, you know, all the, all the guidelines, right? Earnest and serene. And, uh, if it's possible, great. But then there, there's times where you've got to just adapt to what you're dealing with. And that kind of balancing is one of the things that's kind of like, uh, you know, it's high-level problem-solving with real-world consequences. You know, there's definitely wrong things to do, but there's almost this menu of right things, and and it's right in the right situation. Yeah, I like to call it the kinesthetic math problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's, uh, working out working out these solutions to these complex issues where there are many right answers. Uh, however, the consequence for getting them wrong, just while extraordinarily rare, surprisingly, uh, does happen and is, and is highly uh, dramatic. Yeah. Well, it's sort of like Alex Honnold talks about in Free Solo. Um, in his mind, free soloing, you know, uh, the free rider because he practiced it so much, the risk was low. The consequences were high. <laughs> Sure, sure. You know, although if anyone watches them on that boulder problem, I'm I'm always a little like, 
I mean, is he not on the edge? But I, I trust that guy wholeheartedly in his climbing movement. But anyway, yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah uh, the, the, it's true to, to him, like that movement, his, his quality of movement, the, the risk actually is legitimately for him quite low. It's just like any of us. And, um, you know, for the rock guide standard, our, our movement uh, is expected to be at a 10 plus standard with a backpack on trailing two ropes with two clients. Yeah. And, and we should be well above that. It should not. And the reason that's the standard is because those risks should be able to be mitigated by our climbing movement. So yeah, anyways. But that's, so, ha- uh, so going back to, or the idea of when you're taking clients out, how yeah. do you balance the safety and the inherent danger of what could happen with yet yeah, the adventure? How do you? I, I, yeah, that's one of those things where uh, I don't even know if there is this I could coordinate this answer because it is so dependent on first the, my guest personality and what Mm -hmm. it is inherently that they're seeking, which that I don't even bother necessarily always with at first, Mm -hmm. but, uh, I can speak to the guests that I know really well. My return guests that I climb with who I most of the time will just often just call my partners because I climb with them more than I climb with even uh, my own girlfriend, um, my most constant climbing partner. But I think that for some of them, it's a client for, for them. I, I I'm, <laughs> this is a very light way of putting it, but I'm almost a, uh, a, a way I just keep wanting to say carnival ride, but that is such a, that <laughs> I, I just don't like that term. I don't think that's a good way, but for sure, let's just go with it for lack of a better term for now. And I'm, and it's the movement for them. That's important. It's being in that place. That's important. And the things that are happening behind the scenes aren't really that important to them. And I want to be that vehicle by which they can have that experience. And then if you go to the other side of that, there are the folks who they want to be a partner. Um, these are the individuals that I can even trust to, to lead the pitches, put me on belay, and either I jug the pitch because they just climb so much harder than me that I can't even, which um, that doesn't really happen very often, not because I climb hard, just because But that, that's just generally not who's hiring folks, but it does happen. Um, or they um, put me, I trust them to put me on belay and, and I free climb the pitch behind them. Um, and... Uh, that that degree of individual often wants that um, power of being uh, the person in charge and which really harpens back to the history of climbing. You know, I actually just watched Valley Uprising the other night and uh, again for like the probably the fourth time. I love that. I think that it's that's the historical great. documentary Valley about Uprising. Yosemite. Yeah. yeah. Yes, and yeah, it's, it's very well that's done, good. actually. And I, I think it did a great justice to climbing. But um to the climbing culture, but that level of tolerance of, um, the leader, you know, and back in the day, you had to be a qualified leader, you know, to, to go up and do these objectives. And, and, uh, and that's the whole point of Royal Robins and everyone, they were just kind of bucking the system and saying, uh, we don't care about any of that. No, we're going to just go out and test this new frontier. Mm And, but I think that still sticks around. I think, uh, you look at it even with a gym climbing, the lead certification, you know, it's all of a sudden you're, you're imparted this big responsibility of yourself, but then you add a partner to it and it's this big responsibility of another person. And so balancing that, uh, well, and that, but anyway, well, before I go to that, that's, that's, but that's what that individual's after. 
So you have the people who don't necessarily want to be that and people who want all of it. They want to essentially be the responsible person. Perhaps me there just to make sure that all of that responsibility is taking place under an umbrella of kind of background knowledge and contextual knowledge that maybe they don't have yet, Mm -hmm. but they're building. Um, And I think where that goes is that balancing it is, is a matter of really getting to know that person, climbing with a person. I don't get it right. <laughs> uh, if I go climbing with a person, I mean, I, I don't always solve things perfectly uh, technically, and I don't always solve things uh, perfectly interpersonally. In fact, I never do. <laughs> um, I think it's about figuring out where that individual is and really trying to get them to a point where they're comfortable with you. They're willing to tell you that truth. Because yeah. not everyone is, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Um, can't expect everyone to be. But I think that's the way to balance it. And then from there, I just have to trust in myself that I understand the risk reward enough that I'm willing to take certain risks in order to, uh, in, in order to facilitate that reward for them if it's, if it's possible. So it's, there is no definitive answer, unfortunately, <laughs> that I could come up with. So what has climbing done for you? I think it's given me this holistic ability to empower myself in order to accomplish a a task and show myself that I can accomplish a task. It's just not something that I've always felt confident in in my day-to-day life prior to finding this culture. Um, And I say culture even before sport, just because that's what's important to me. But Mm -hmm. speaking on the sport in general, it's uh, my friend Ron Funderburg. He's the uh, education director at the American Alpine Club. He puts it really well where he likes to dis- he had at one point described climbing as this very holistic activity where it's um, psychologically engaging because you have to um, know how to use your body correctly. Also, you have to know how to use your gear correctly um, in order to undertake this challenge. It is a, a physical challenge that one is obvious to most folks where you have to condition yourself to deal with these he puts it as vertical riggers. Um, it's a, uh, it's, it's also a emotional challenge because it's really scary. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's even bouldering actually even more, the more I climb, the more scared I am of bouldering. Cause yeah. it seems to be where all the professionals seem to get hurt. <laughs> um, but, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's all of those things wrapped into this one package and you get it all at once you get to make these decisions and be responsible for your decisions and you get to measure yourself against yourself against this very objective thing that doesn't care about you um not even spiritually it's just a that that's just an objective reality that this cliff doesn't care it's it's a not a sentient being that cares whether or not you have success or not you're measuring yourself against this thing that's just naturally there and I think that's pretty empowering to be able to go up to something and say, I have measured myself this much with those standards that I've set for myself. And that's, and that's pretty cool. And guiding, you get a little bit more of that because you actually have a third party examining you and all of mm-hmm. those things. But, but for climbing specifically, I think that's what I get out of it. Well, no, one of the things that I, I, I find with climbing that's uh, – best way to put it is, is you know, it's kind of the most important – meaningless thing we do right <laughs> because you, most things like unless it's something like seneca rocks where you know unless you got a helicopter or a desert tower down in utah there's usually an easier way to walk to the top sure like we pick the hard way up everything yeah you know and and not only does the rock not care 
but people outside of the climbing community, they don't care either. Other than, you know, oh, that's kind of cool what you do or whatever. But but if you accomplish that project you're working on, it means everything to you and nobody else gives a shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's this <laughs> sure. kind of like uh, kind of weird, wonderful dichotomy that, you know, it's something that's had a hold on me for years and basically I'm not going to cure cancer with it but I feel the most alive when I do it and it, it's still always this kind of weird back and forth where there's just this like just this passion where it's like okay there's this thing and I want to get from the bottom of it to the top of it in a certain style right because right, right. you know You've probably aid climbed before. Sure. Um, that's a style. Uh, but then you'll also run into the thing where, you know, free with pro and blah, blah, blah. You know, like we, we have our own way of contextualizing the way that we go up things. Right. Um, that mean everything to us. And, you know, obviously somebody in, in our community would go, oh, you cheated or that was good form or whatever. But it, it is. It's such a strange you know, almost like strange mistress. <laughs> um, and like, do you ever find where, where you're, you, you are dealing with that kind of like idea of like, it's a, this super transformative thing, but it's just kind of like weirdly ethereal. Like, you know, because we don't have anything to show afterwards. You know what I mean? We didn't build a house. We didn't, obviously we can write about it, but you know, like you don't end up with this finished tangible product the way a lot of people do in their jobs. Yet you leave this imprint on people, right? Right. It's a, that, that's pretty. Oh man, we're gonna get philosophical. This is great. Well, that's what we do here. Um, <laughs> it's a, uh, yeah, I know. I think some of if my followers hear this, they're gonna be like, "Wow, I I just came for the technical stuff. I was hoping y'all would talk about we'll parallel get to- ropes versus blah blah blah." But no, because this is this is actually deep down. This is these are really the things okay. that keep me up at night and but, think about. So this is great. We'll, we'll- so going back to what you were saying uh, about uh, yeah climbing just being this ethereal thing that we uh, that that we're doing what and uh, I don't think the question was like what's the point of it but it, so while you were saying all of those things it, the uh, heroes of the useless is <laughs> a great uh, quote I think there is something important about it because I think who pursues anything I mean is it entertainment to entertain other people is it to make money is it to because they just really love kicking a ball or shooting uh, shooting a ball into a basket because really at the end of the day what does it do for that person and does it then take that person and then make uh, because it empowers them they then go through the rest of their day helping society in some way which at the end of the day for me that's really what's really important mm-hmm. is first mm-hmm. it helps that individual greatly and then um equally as important is that to me is that it helps also goes out and then that person is just a better person in society or because it does whatever for them even if that means that for them you know ordinarily i'd be out there standing on a grandstand like uh and i'd be an internet troll but instead i'm very quiet and because i just have this thing that empowers me that's i'm joking kind of but uh, or or for someone who doesn't feel empowered in the world it gives them something to to go out and pursue it again it goes back to giving them their own objective measurement of themselves that now they can go out and use that power to just go through life like we all would like to mm-hmm. which is just a teeny bit happier at the end of the day you know and yeah so maybe for me that's kind of where that all comes from and 
you know, but that's not up to me at the end of the day for my guests, for my friends, my partners, whoever. You talked about the culture. You said that you're very attracted to this culture and then there's the sport. Can you talk a bit about that? What is it that attracts you? I think that mountain culture is, it's just the inviting nature of that culture. I mean, when you have this thing that you're attached to, this hobby, um, this skill, this thing that it, it's like a, it's like a city that isn't in one place. (laughs) It's like you have your butcher, your baker, your candlestick maker, but you have that in this community dispersed all over the world. You have the climbers who are professional athletes who are going out doing these incredible things, you know, sausage Julian climbing three, four, 15 a routes. And that's super inspiring. And so you look up to them to how are you training? And, you know, you have, um, like my, my, uh, guiding heroes, like my friend, I, like I, I'll bring him up several times. My friend, Ron Funderbrook. I'm like, how, how do you figure this out? How, what have you done to just, inspire this many people uh and teach and come up with these theories on education and it's it's cool it's it's that it's 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 the you're a part of this city where you know all the residents and another cool small world it's a small world and in the mountain culture as y'all probably know i mean you get to hang out with your heroes um and i know that that's just again repeating what so many people have said but you get to hang with your heroes i mean i got to i got to meet peter croft and and he's he's never going to remember me right but like i i got to meet him and climb at the same crag as him and for me that was really cool i got to you know i go to the same gym as Alex Honnold and Brad Gobright, who I, I swear Alex Honnold's never going to remember my name in a thousand <laughs> years. Um, what gym is that? Uh, it's attached to Desert the Desert Rock Sports um, gym over here, the Red Rock Climbing Center. Cool. Oh, yeah. where we went shopping the other day. Yeah, so the Red Rock Climbing Center is kind of like the little neighborhood gym here. Mom and pop, but I, I really like it. I love it cool. there. Um, I, I like the, the, the culture there. And that is so cool. It's so integrative. I mean... You can be important, and I think that's important for people to feel important. Mm-hmm. How many times can I say important in that sentence? I, that I, uh, I think that's, that's extremely powerful for folks. And, and for me, that was a big deal because at a time when I was really seeking some kind of cemented foundation instead of a gravel one, I found it in this mountain culture as a whole. Not just climbers, but all of it. I think it's just so cool. You know, the first night, if you ever go to a Banff Mountain Film Festival, Right. I mean, that's just that who cannot be a part of that. Yeah. I and mean, that's just awesome. You watch that intro. Everyone in mountain culture knows that introduction. Right. And, and when every and you get everyone's got the same feeling when they see it like that, boom, that bass drops, <laughs> you see it all happen. It's so cool. I just love that. Yeah. Well, that it's one of the things that I love that uh, you can have. And this is so probably unlike almost any other professional sport out there. Um, I, I'm now firmly just a trad dad, right? You know, <laughs> like it, it's one of those things. I, I climb some sport. Um, I try hard every now and again, but most of the time I just like to cruise long, moderate routes. It turns into sort of mini epics. Um, I'm okay with it. Right? Oh, you're not like the crusty, uh, like these kids only wrestle pebbles and smell like Skittles all the time. Oh, yeah. That, don't get me wrong. I will make the jokes, but I'm also in <laughs> awe of them. But it's one of those strange sports where um, if I was able, I could go climb on any route 
that Adamandra put up, or I could do Freerider, or now I can't do them. Um, but you know, you run into the thing like we can get to play on the same field. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, I love and, putting my hand in a crack. Like I was just in Joshua Tree, and it's like, oh man, like I just love knowing that John Long like put his hand right here. And then he would have given like a super eloquent like speech about it because that's just John Long. So the the transformative power uh, of climbing, you know, I guess is sort of one of those things that that empowers you or, or gives you kind of motivation as a guide. So how do you kind of balance your own personal objectives with the business side of it? Yeah, because my guess is a lot of times with clients, you're not climbing right at your limit, right? Right, you right. know, like pushing whatever project or whatever thing you know that you're trying to accomplish. Sure, this seems to always split the crowd a little bit. If you Google just be a guide or an instructor, I mean, first of all, that's just a rabbit hole by itself. Mm-hmm. But just in terms of the climbing that you get to do as a person, you'll hear on one side it's how oh, you get to climb for your job like that's awesome like you get to climb all the time and then on the other camp the total opposite end of that spectrum wow you never get to climb ever do you (laughs) and 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 i uh, just like everything in the world right it's like the answer is well not everything but just like most things the answer is probably on one side or the other or just somewhere approaching more the middle though and for me it is about having first just enough energy uh to get off work and then go climb. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, especially right now, I mean, y'all are right here in the middle of spring and we're kind of the tail end of spring really for the desert, but yeah, it's the, uh, it's the busy starting. season, you know I mean? And, and last month I worked 25 out of 30 days. So just first throwing that out there, uh, but getting off work and saying, I'm going to go to the gym now and I'm going to train. And often for me, that's what ends up happening is that I'm going to get off work and I'm going to go to the gym. I wish I could say that I did that way more often. Um, I'm not proud to say that, especially right now, this is definitely the time where my uh, just raw pulling ability definitely uh, wanes because I just don't often have the energy after, say, a big grade three or even more so like a grade four day. I get home and really the most important thing at that point is to stretch and then go to sleep, yeah. which also is something I'm not very good at. That's every, anyone listening to this who like knows who's like, Cody, you don't stretch. And I'm like, no, I've just started. <laughs> no, but it, it comes down more to being able to come home and, and, and self-care. It's, it's like, no, I, I actually have to go to sleep. I'm, I'm going to have a glass of bourbon or something, or really it, I'm like, I'm going to eat something and I'm just going to eat, uh, honestly, go get something healthy out and then bring it home because I, I need to go to bed. Um, and so when it comes to my climbing and the, the projects that I have, it really often happens in the shoulder seasons. Um, for me, that most people's shoulder seasons are my on seasons because here in Las Vegas, we just have a really great environment for that. When most things aren't happening in other countries or it's rainy or something, we're really, it's almost perfect. Mm-hmm. And um, so for me, it's like I'm taking, for example, the first month of June off just to climb with my girlfriend in Washington just so that I can, one, go do big alpine objectives because that's my next um, venture with the American Mountain Guides Association is the alpine uh, curriculum. And um, I'm just taking that month, and this is often what I do is I just take long stints of time. to not, And I'm, I have a good baseline. I'm not really doing anything else to train, but I get there, and then I go. And I go do those objectives, and I just go sport climbing now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, friends like, uh, you know, I keep bringing her up so much, but Tracy, um, 
uh, another woman here, um, Roxana Brock McDade, and several other um, uh, uh, guides and strong climbers on here who have day jobs, or Tracy, who, who she guides too. She, they just have in this inherent motivation. They go out and climb scary traditional routes, and will also go out and sport climb a lot. But I, I'm unfortunately just have not been. Uh, just I, I, those genes don't run through my body. And, and so I'm trying to change that a little bit, but because I'm just a mountain athlete who wants to be out doing everything, I don't necessarily focus as much attention on really hard. For example, um, you know, going climbing, excellent adventure, five eleven R, blah, 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 you know, which is what I'd love to be doing. But I focus a lot of my attention on sport climbing these days, just yeah. because if I'm being totally honest, it's all I have energy for because I'm also trying to at the same time make money and, um, you know, make sure that I'm getting to my followers on Instagram and treating them, uh, with respect the, you know, cause they ask questions and I want to answer them. And so a little bit more is on my plate probably than necessary, but I do it because that's just where my passion lies. It's not necessarily in just going out and climbing hard all the time. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I honestly love just going out and climbing. I, I, I climbed a five, nine splitter hand crack and several in a day in Joshua tree, a couple, like a five, 10 or two. And I was having so much fun. <laughs> I don't even care because well, that's, that's vacation. There, there definitely is that kind of thing where if you're, uh, in kind of that objective mode. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's actually fun. It's it. Mm. You're proud of yourself when you accomplish yeah, it's it. Training sometimes like, but, it, but it's just sort of that thing where it's like, it actually kind of stresses you out. <clears throat> Whereas, you know, if you go do stuff where it's, you know, it's work. Sure. But, you know, it's within you, mm-hmm. right? Then you can just enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think that, because we're, we're so obsessed with, you know, what Adam Andra can do and, you know, the, these amazing athletes who are pulling, you know, people doing, you know, V18 boulder problems and, you know, become sort of these number things about how hard. Yeah, yeah. I like the psychological transformation. Like I had mentioned earlier, I have a slight, I had, I have a slight fear of heights. Irrational. It's it's slighter now. It is. It is. Like I can't believe I went down 400 feet and repelled it and just did it. There was none of it. I climbed it and there was nothing about, you know. You did pee your pants. (laughs) I did. But but that, it wasn't out of fear though. It was just, she couldn't make. I drank too much water. (laughs) And she couldn't make her shiwi work. And I ended up pissing myself. Oh, that's nothing to even be embarrassed about. I mean, that's just normal. I had to let it go because I had to call him. <laughs> and you're like, what's going on? <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Yeah, I guess I did. Yeah. But, but, I mean, but, I definitely uh, tried to pee mid route and just peed all over myself instead because at the end of the day, it's just like, well, what am I going to do? I'm in this knee bar right now and I'm just trying to stand here. And it's like, I legitimately can't hold this anymore. Exactly. Well, be, hey, be, ha- be happy. You ever seen the video? Um, in Squamish. Oh yes, where, where, everyone has seen this video. Where the guy boogie, boogie he, tea, we, poop, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> climbing hungover. Uh, oh and man! The, and it, it's, it's when you said knee bar that sort of made me think because he got a knee jam in off with, and and then he got his leg stuck, mm-hmm. and then somebody else was coming up and he's like, oh, oh, <laughs> I think I shit myself. <laughs> oh, that totally happens. Yeah. I, oh so, my yeah. god! I'm going to derail the joke a little bit because I think mm-hmm. what it, you brought up earlier is like just such a uh, it's it's actually very poignant for me in that um, I, uh, putting numbers on things yeah. and mm-hmm. and being we uh, I'm I'm a person who uh, freely admits I put way too many high standards on myself and it often causes me just undue amounts of stress. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, my uh, objective planning comes down to making sure that my 
this, this sounds pandering, but it, it really is what drives me. Guiding is what drives me. Mm-hmm. It, it is it is the thing I wake up in the morning and want to do. It's just like music. I like try to balance those two things, and it's it's just like I wake up in the morning and I want to do those things. And for me, it's um, I put a lot of pressure on myself to say, oh man, you know, um, so and so is definitely ready to do. Um, you know, epinephrine or even harder. Someone is, you know, I really should take someone up, you know, like, uh, the warrior or something like that. You know, like they'd really benefit from like a hard trad day up in a, on, in the big mountains, you know, like our, you name the route, right? It's like, they're ready for this. And I just cause myself like, Oh, but am I ready? And, and, and I start measuring myself at all these standards and, why I have a little bit more foresight to not necessarily measure myself against Adam Andra. I do measure myself, uh, against, um, uh, other guys who have come before me and done much bigger things. We'll have to pause this interview for now. No worries. So you might've heard a little commotion. The fine folks that Cody was staying with, uh, got home and as, as nice people and nice person that he is, um, wanted to give them their home back. So now we are in the driveway in Cody's van. Uh, hashtag van life, can life, climber life, all that jazz. Uh, it's actually a very nice um, van. Uh, other than the fact that it has free candy written on the side, um, which I don't know what that's for, but what are you going to do? I'm trying to erase it. But yeah. I think, I, I think you probably got it from a police auction. Um, actually, there's blood on the side. <laughs> <laughs> But either way, <laughs> bird, bird food makes great fl- fake yeah. blood. Yeah. So so we are back. Um, we are in the van and the advantage of the portable podcast studio. Uh, and we were talking about comparing ourselves to people and things. I think the point I was making before is just that I easily compare myself to people. Uh, a lot of people, it's easy to compare themselves to someone like um, Sausage Julian or Adam Andra or... Um, uh, I mean, Emily Harrington, I mean, you, you name it, all these professional athletes. And for me, I sure sometimes I'll, I'll do that in terms of climbability, but I have, I relate a little bit more with just other guides and, uh, people who have just, I mean, there are guides who, you know, have climbed, uh, one of the, made a first ascent of one of the Gasherbrums and have, put up first ascents in Alaska, sometimes with their clients. Mm-hmm. And that just doesn't happen uh, with me. <laughs> partly because of uh, where I'm from, uh, partly because of the opportunities that I've had or not had in terms of just um, uh, my uh, 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 geographic location and just also financial ability to be able to get places. Um, and that is what I, what is hard for me is that I end up putting myself on a, on a level of, uh, on a playing field that isn't necessarily attainable because it isn't even necessarily fair to myself to Mm -hmm. put myself out there and, and say, for example, like, Oh, you know, my client is ready for, um, uh, uh, like, uh, that, you know, we should do a solar slab to, to, um, you know, Eagle dance link up day. And that's quite 
and, and that's which is a big challenging day it really like that's going to be where i'm going to climb hard pitches mm-hmm. and i'm going to have to really be on it's going to be a hard day and perhaps that's right uh, if i didn't if i messed up my scheduling a little bit maybe that's kind of right in the middle of the days that i'm working other things and i think that's uh that that ends up leading to a bit of a an issue where i put all all of a sudden all this pressure is on myself now that didn't need to exist in the first place mm-hmm. and while I don't remember what I, I think your original point was, I think that it's prudent that the point of what I'm saying here is just that I think that the climbing culture um, also has this side that does that can put this undue burden and pressure on uh, um, on us to perform at a level that isn't necessarily realistic, and that includes even uh, you know um, the expectations that we set on ourselves for for me it's like what i can guide what mm-hmm. i can actually t- take people on and it's just it doesn't necessarily always need to be that way or stack up to the real world all right cody so as i mentioned earlier um i'm totally new at this and so having just recently experienced that multi-pitch and getting a handle of my fear i quickly realized that there's some things that uh i still don't know and i'm scared i don't want to just go out there and do another multi-pitch without learning more of the basics. Can you just touch upon what you, just as a reminder, what you should get a handle on? If I were trying to give you um, a good selection of knowledge to have, just to show up with on day one, would be to, um, and first I should should preface that this is, these are skills easily gained in, in a half day even, or a full day, just going out with an instructor or a guide who is, um, certified by an IFMGA recognized organization because they're going to be able to give you those things um, and and give you a barometer for yourself. So for you, if it was if it was that um, kind of objective, it's first knowing. I think an often overlooked thing because when you start to get into bigger objectives, uh, which is what we have a lot of here in Red Rock, is it's easy to get wrapped up into all of the technical things mm-hmm. it's 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 easy to say i need i need a repel device i need or, and that can also be a belay device i need um you know make sure that i've of course got my harness helmet and shoes but i also need to know how to do i need to know how to tie clove hitch do i need to know how to do a figure eight all mm-hmm. those things are, mm-hmm. are certainly important but i think it's easy to overlook your climbing ability and not just your climbing ability but have you done objectives that are in uh, of that in terms of that size so let's for example say um uh, using the example of uh, Romanian rib yeah. out on the um, First Creek slabs, uh, it's it's not an insignificant approach, certainly. So it involves, first of all, knowing that you're getting yourself into, you know, you a minimum have to hike. I think it's a, I think it might be a two mile hike. It could be as little as a mile and a half. I don't actually remember, but it, it, so we have to do it. It's over, a solid hour and a half. Anyway. It's a, it's a pretty yeah. So if you put it in a time frame, it's an hour and a half approach. So certainly by the time you're there, and if you're on siding, the group that you're with, you're going to be a part of that. even if people are very good at handling that stress, it's still this underlying stressor of not necessarily knowing where it is. So being mentally prepared to be able to say, I'm going to go out there, we need to get there in in a good amount of time. So being able to know that you can be out there and be calm in that situation and just say, 
All right, great. We're finding the we're, we're finding the route and knowing that you uh, the the fitness of you getting to the base of that route isn't going to come into play, mm-hmm. you know, because if you get to the base of a route and you're already uh, exhausted from just bush pushing because that happens, you know, mm-hmm. through scrub oak and 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 whatever. Maybe if you're in the Cascades, all of the the just the tight bushwhacking that you have to do, especially in like North Carolina, sometimes because it may be hot and humid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so where I'm from, North Carolina, that's the situation you get. Um, and then being able to climb. Your climbing ability um, is the grade of the climb. Sure, it probably is in that range, but then when you add in the factor, all those factors that we had ju- that I just spoke about, mm-hmm. on top of that, um, the nature that okay, so it's a five five or let's let's just call it five seven is a ni- nice number there. Five seven is attainable for a lot of folks, and it's also it's a very common grade here for popular routes. Um, can I climb it, but can I climb it in the style that it has? So is it a crack climb? Is it a slab climb? Is mm-hmm. it a face climb? Mm-hmm. Do I know the difference between those things? Um, because that's going to change. If I've never crack climbed mm-hmm. and it's a 5'7 mm-hmm. uh, crack pitch where hand jamming is what, uh, for example, is what's going to make it 5'7, or am I going to have to lie back the whole thing, you know, until I find the holds that are the thing that keep the grade down in terms of it being a crack climb? Pollock's Pillar is a great example of that as a route here in Red Rock, um, where there's face feature, but there are sections where it definitely is going to be harder than 5'7 if you can't hand jam. So I think knowing your ability in that regard, before you even get into the technical know-how, that's the, that's the real thing. And I think that's where here in Red Rock, it's, it's a great to go out and have that adventure because it is so accessible. Mm-hmm. But I think also people can sometimes get themselves into trouble mm-hmm. because that's the area where they even have all the technical know-how. I mean, they can rig up all kinds of systems, but all of a sudden you're on you know pitch number eight pitch number six to eight and 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 you're really tired and all of a sudden five seven's hard all of a sudden mm-hmm. um you add exposure into that and other things and i think those are the often overlooked things what are some tips or resources that you recommend people um go to to re- research some routes some routes yeah because we talked about mountain projects but maybe sure. there's some others or of course there's local guidebooks but um just to help you assess routes and rather than just go into it blind and, you know? Well, I think the unfortunate answer is that there just isn't going to be the the um, the, the golden nugget that leads you to, um, to the perfect answer. Okay. I think that being able to understand how to research uh, a route is important, and I think using all the resources is important. When you go to a new area, I mean, really, I think at the beginning of it is just to follow your instinct. I mean, if there's something that you think is cool because either because someone told you or because you looked at one of the formations and said, what's a cool route I can do up that formation? I mean, let that drive at first and then start narrowing it down and see where it leads from there. Once you've established a route that you really want to do, then um, certainly buying the local guidebook is one, I think, really importantly and often overlooked is just a way to support that local community. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it's also a great way because that's often where the most in-depth history is going to be. And you can get a lot from the climbing history. If you know, for example, the first ascensionist, if I know, for example, around here that uh, the Uriosities put up something, I can expect a creative route that often has some interesting, potentially interesting route finding or some interesting formation that it goes up. It's probably going to be a little stiff, but well-protected. 
Mm-hmm. Um, if I know that Joe Herbst put it up, I can expect that not to necessarily be the case all the time. Perhaps it's not only creative and kind of strange, but maybe a little physical as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so knowing that history, and you get that often by buying a guidebook from the local area. So given mm-hmm. that Red Rocks is a real draw and, and you've been here for a while, mm-hmm. are there some guidebooks in particular that you can recommend? Certainly. So. I think um, the most common guidebook that most people have that seems to be the most comprehensive seems to be Jerry Handron's um, latest edition, which I can't remember if he's on the second or the third edition now. Um, but that is a very well done guidebook. It's very comprehensive. Um, and I think that currently that's one of the resources that we have for the broad picture of Red Rock. If you want to get into routes that are a little bit more um, challenging, um, uh, the Roxana Brock um, guidebook is great because often a lot of those routes are done in great, um, not necessarily even about their great detail, it's more about their, um, their, their breakdown of what to expect of each, for example, hard pitch is going to be like. So if you're like, trying to do the rainbow wall, I might even recommend cross-referencing Handron with the Brock guide because mm-hmm. it's going to be um, even more accurate. Hmm. And then for most things, though, I think going to Mountain Project as a social media platform is which is what I just I, I just generally consider Mountain Project to be kind of a social media platform. And it's kind of uh, um, in its own way is that uh, you can go get is that you can go get live representation of that route condition. So mm-hmm. um, not only are you, can you, the description might not always be that great because it's t- it's very there's. It's not like Wikipedia where anyone can go in and necessarily edit it, but the comment thread below it, while often can scare you away from a route sometimes, uh, can be a great cross-reference for what are current, what's currently happening on this route. Like, mm-hmm. oh, the American Safe Climbing Association went up and recently replaced all these bolts. So if you go to an area, you get, an, you get the guidebook, and then um, figure out what the most relevant guidebook for that area is, and that's usually just drawn on opinion. And then cross-reference that with Mountain Project. That's often a good route. And I, but then finally, I think, and this I'll, I'll, won't take a long time about this, is just that I think your your mountain sense should also dictate what you're doing. And I think that's where we get into the difference between cragging and going into the mountains and climbing a multi-pitch route. Because I think, and this might transition our conversation a little bit, but um, once you are more than a, a half a rope length or a rope length off the ground, depending on where anchors are, ledges, etc., uh, you are in the mountains and you are in a mountain environment and you are in a committed environment where now all of a sudden things have changed. And I do think that there's merit in going with people who have credentialed experience, certainly, but even for if you're just going out with friends, knowing that your friends have uh, you know, at least have been in that terrain before because being able to read a mountain, mm-hmm. uh, even something like Mescalito where Cat in the Hat's on, mm-hmm. you know, Cat in the Hat's a very alpine route. And yeah. by that, I just mean it tops out on ledges. There are bolts, sure, but they're not often in line with where the pitches top out. And so they put you in odd positions if you just immediately go to those bolts. It's about being able to approach that and know that that's... Um, that you can read that terrain on the fly and and, and enter that terrain because it it is very committing. And and I think that's another element that's often overlooked. It's just mountain sense. Yeah. With the growth of climbing gyms, the amount of people that are taking that transition to the outdoors is like at a record high. Can you think of like, you know, uh, a, a few examples of 
things that you've seen that you want to nip in the bud? Like, uh, I, I, I'm thinking of something I've seen quite a few times back home um, because one of, well, a series of our Craigs all have beautiful bolted top rope anchors. They've got like fixie glue ins. That's awesome. Everywhere. <laughs> so, set, and they're back from the edge. So, setting up a top rope um, is easy. But because that, uh, I've seen like some of the mankiest setups where it's like a single sling even though you've got like four bolts within like a five foot span you know to be able to cover different angles of different climbs um it's one sling one beaner for essentially to run uh, as your you know uh, uh you know redirect uh for for a slingshot blade from the ground you know so no redundancy da 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 um, and, and I see that probably every second time I go out, where it's like, oh, the bolt's strong enough, it's just one thing. So it's, a, you know, the kinds of things where you just wish people had that little bit of, of experience, knowledge, that kind of thing. So some of those, like, beginner mistakes don't get made. I think that most of the audience may not even know what you just said. Yeah. Um, about fixie hardware. I mean, is fixie hardware a colloquialism? Is it, and by that, do I mean like, is it, uh, you know, for example, we call, uh, everyone says an ATC or short, which is short for air traffic controller, which is a belay device made by Black Diamond. They, but now we just call all tube devices yeah. ATCs. Uh, I try not to, but but that's just that's just what the culture's done. So I think a large part of the mm. issue of potentially what you're seeing with uh, quote unquote sketchy anchors, uh, you know, like go go on any Instagram, just go to hashtag anchors, and it's oh, it's great. It, just bomber. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to start a hashtag anchor anger because it's just it's it's good. But um, a, a, a lot of it is is just uh, really an overall failure of the system to compensate for one just masses of people, uh, and and then. Another reason is that this is a very legacy-oriented sport. It's a, it's a, uh, one of my friends called it a folk kind of art, where it's passed down orally, um, it's passed down through time via literature, and it's just passed through mostly until recently, no testing. It's just people going out and just trying this stuff, and it works or it doesn't, and that's just a thing, and it's very self-regulated. And so I think that's a large part of it. It's just that overall, it's it's that there isn't even a clear understanding of vernacular and exactly mm-hmm. what something means. And I'm actually in the middle of writing a, um, a bit about this right now um, that I'm, I want to put on my website once my website's done is that, for example, uh, the difference between people talking about rope techniques, rope techniques versus rope types. A lot of people talk about climbing, for example, with double ropes. Well, double rope doesn't have any meaning. There's no such thing from the literature standpoint is double ropes. Yeah, it's twin and half. It's twin or half. And the techniques that you use to climb might either be caterpillar or parallel. And then those are single rope techniques used with single rated ropes. And so that's, I think that might be part of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I'm, what I'm getting at anyway with, yeah. Your, with, yeah, with what you're talking about. The thing when I got into it, you kind of got adopted by the people who would be your mentors. Sure. Um, and I, and these things matter so that, you know, because everything in climbing, um, when we're talking about the technical aspect, is safety. 
you know, because if we weren't concerned with the safety, none of us would use ropes, right? Um, how do we educate people to the point where they understand what they don't know? I think that's through regulation almost. Right, and and it's uh, it's pretty hard. So uh, there is a movement um, at the federal level in the United States to start regulating climbing gyms based on OSHA, and um, I'm going to totally butcher the nonprofit regulatory body that is also involved. I'm not even going to try to remember, but um, they they are go under they are essentially regulating the climbing wall industry. The climbing wall industry is kind of like this introduction to many people for climbing, and it's a, it's a, it's a little it's a cool little like laboratory almost because it's a it it's taking climbing, which is this very open ended sport, and it's putting it into an indoor setting where we often think about building codes and things mm -hmm. like that, and. Essentially, they are trying to put those kind of regulations on an industry where it doesn't really make sense. So, for example, we as climbers and those of us listening understand that an assisted braking device such as the Petzl Grigri is, as long as there is a backup knot uh, or a catastrophe knot tied on the brake strand close to the device, it is a it, it, it can be a hands-free device at that point because even if the device slips that knot jams into the device and that knot can easily be moved away from the brake position of the device in order to escape it um, we know this but they don't see it that way and so we have this interesting issue where regulation is essentially very much needed but where knowledge in climbing is so broad and so contextual because because I could climb in Red Rock the uh, uh, the the same graded route the same amount of elevation gain the same everything and all I have to do is put a little bit of snow on it and that totally changes the context mm -hmm. and the things and the tools I'm going to use or if I had the chance of an afternoon thunderstorm it's just going to totally change the tools and now because of modern technology and, cli and and climbing technology we have so many tools available it would be an immense and probably irresponsible thing to try to regulate every single decision that uh someone makes and and the knowledge that for example someone in my profession is trying to give to the general public which is something that the American Mountain Guides Association, the International Federation of Mountain Guide Associations, which is the umbrella organization for mountain guides, and then even further up than that, the UIAA, um, which is the International Mountaineering Federation. I'm not even going to try to say the French name of it, um, which is the overarching umbrella. You know, you see that stamp on everything. They're trying to figure these these problems out with all these devices, put certifications on things, and try to make it in a way that is... Um, where where all of these tools meet a certain credential, but beyond that, it's up to the the, the user mm -hmm. to use these tools in these contexts. And so, <laughs> and I think that's kind of the trend with all of the answers to all of these questions tonight is that it's all completely open ended. And yet, yes, I would also agree that something needs to be done in a way where we are critical thinkers in the mountains and we mm -hmm. think critically about the context we're in. The, situa the circumstances that we're in interpersonally, uh, so group decision-making um, or personal decision-making, and, um, and the overall scope of what our impact is going to be on other folks around us, it, it's just 
all of these things. It's, I think it's less uh, trying to make rules out of things, and I don't think that was necessarily mm-hmm. your point, but I think it's less trying to even regulate things uh, from that standpoint and more trying to regulate how are we making decisions and how do we make critical thinkers out of people who are going into the mountains, and I think that's a better stance to take. So uh, your, your Instagram, you know, kind of best known for Tech Tips Tuesdays, when did you start that? I started the Tech Tip Tuesday, and I, I can't remember if it was March or June or sometime around that time, late spring, early summer in 2017. Okay, so going on a couple of years now. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that, that really impresses me, A, you respond to pretty much everybody, um, or as best you can. <laughs> um, and... There and is by that you've got like fifteen thousand followers, so <laughs> I must keep you pretty busy. <laughs> uh, and but but one of the things, and this is really an impressive thing, and I don't know if you engineered it this way, but you somehow have created a polite dialogue uh, that's got people engaged with the. Well, I was told that I should do it this way. You know, in a comment, they'll, you know, you show a tip and somebody goes, oh, well, shouldn't it be this way or isn't this a problem? And then you you sort of have these back and forth, which is explaining for this use, this is way, And you're expanding people's knowledge and getting them thinking, you know, sort of the critical thinking you're talking about. Um, and like when you started it, was there, was there, uh, was it just, hey, I'm a guide, I want to show some stuff or... Was there was there kind of like a plan to kind of up the dialogue? So first to give a shout out to an association of Canadian mountain guides, certified guide Mike Barter. Um, I love so him. ACMG mountain guide Mike Barter, the mountain guide, everyone's favorite mountain guide. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. I'm giving a shout out to you if you hear this. But um, he really did this great where he was just this approachable individual who was ready to be wrong on the internet. And that was pretty impressive. He, I, I found his videos on YouTube when I was at a point where I was looking again for that professionalism. And um, the original idea behind what I was doing was that I wanted to I wanted to also offer that because he was also seemingly at a point where he was kind of ceasing to do that part of his life and moving on to something else. And I wanted to not pick up where he left off, but essentially offer to the world just this. Uh, I'll take it from my own problems. So out working or out climbing, I would, I would run into these situations where I feel like I was just losing a lot of time. Largely, it was inconsequential, but every once in a while, it would be consequential. I would It would take too much time, and ultimately, these little time sucks would lead to me getting caught in a thunderstorm in North Carolina. Two o'clock thunderstorm every day. What I, what I started to find was that if I just change, if I just tweak this little thing and turn it to... Uh, I won't even be able to come into an example now, but, um, you know, instead of using this tool this way I use it this way well all of a sudden that saves me a minute of prep and now it's already ready to go so now I can just uh, so for example like if I go to a rappel and I get there and I already have the rappel set up when my partner gets there well all we have to do left is go and rappel well Cody doesn't that take a lot longer don't you take just the same amount of time well kind of except when you think that I'm one person at this tiny little stance getting this whole thing ready where all the people have to do when everyone's there is clip, clip, and go. 
well, that's very different than all of a sudden when you have two, three people at this really tight, uncomfortable stance, and now you're trying to do all of those same things. Mm -hmm. So these little things that really, at the end of the day, don't matter that much, and rock climbing especially, uh, where my certification is, um, really do start to add up when you go into the mountains, and all of a sudden you add these little factors that you don't think about, really, because they don't matter until you're there. It's just not something you put in your plan. And so the idea there was that I could take these little tools and just give this one little thing, add some context, and then give it out there for the general public, keep it under a minute because our attention spans, especially I'll speak for myself, my attention span is just not that long. Um, keep it at a minute and then that's all you need. Well, that would create that little niche of, of an area where people can just walk away with this little thing that's just going to make them a little bit faster. Um, or a little bit easier. Actually, at the end of the day, that's really what it, I'm lazy, and I just some things just make my life easier. Mm -hmm. And and um, also, the idea was that it would be principle based, not rule based. Mm -hmm. And I think that largely, again, and this goes back to the larger context of climbing being this legacy sport where rules tend to get people in trouble because they just don't follow. Con climbing is just broad. Mm -hmm. You know, one thing you might do rock climbing, you just don't do ice climbing, and vice versa. And um, when you mix that bag, essentially you need to be prepared to change that tool based on that context. And I want, and I think you can do that better from a stance of principles, uh, a short list of principles that if followed can fit all of these things mm -hmm. rather than just a short rule. And I've never seen anything on your tech tips where it was like, I can't believe nobody ever thought of that. You know, like just having climbed for a long time, but it's refinements um, where it's like, ah, oh, mm -hmm. that's just smart. Mm -hmm. Like that's just a better way to do something or, or a more efficient way. Um, and when I look like, you know, basically I've been outdoor climbing this year uh, for a month because we, we went to West Virginia and both times I've had routes where uh, the last rappel is putting me down as, you know, if, if I was 20 minutes later, I'd be wrapping in the dark, right? So where that efficiency actually matters, you know, those types of things, like in the Alpine, like speed mm -hmm. is safety. Mm -hmm. So we're sitting here in your van, which is cool, by the way. I see it's in the making and, uh, oh, sweet. and right uh, looking at your uh, website, you've got a schedule of where you're going to next. So... Sounds looks like you're on the move. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the uh, trade-off right now is that I'm leaving Las Vegas for for a couple weeks. Um, my uh, my girlfriend is going to move up to the Outward Bound. She's going to work for Outward Bound in uh, Washington, specifically out of the Mazama base. And so in her process of doing that, I'm taking a little bit of a uh, couple weeks here in May just to, after I finish some work in Joshua Tree, to drive up there, spend a little bit of time. And then I'll come back here and work a little bit in May, at the end of May. And essentially after that, I try to go to places that aren't as hot as... Uh, oh, gosh, yeah. And that's kind of where, you know, a lot of us working in this industry tend to do is that, um, so this summer I'll be largely in Jackson, Wyoming and working mostly on the Grand Teton. I'm also taking my uh, Alpine Guide course with the AMGA there uh, in late June. And so that's the move that's happening. So mountaineering, rock climbing, which do you love more? Oh man, it's tough because particularly like mountaineering, at least as I think of mountaineering, is just, just snow climbing. Mm -hmm. 
um, I tend to think of it more as alpinism because it's it's a mixture of all of those things. Uh, alpine just coming from that 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 French underlying meaning of of, of being above tree line, mm-hmm. where you have a lot of snow, you have a lot of ice. Um, it's certainly while I'm not certified in that terrain, it's something that I've pursued quite a bit mm-hmm. and. I love it because it combines everything about the mountains that I love. You have to often approach, even though I'm not a very good skier, I'm trying to get better. So sometimes you have to approach on skis. You might start on a glacier, but then have to climb these couloirs filled with ice and snow. And then at the top, there might be this pyramid of rock that you then have to climb. And it's just this ability to be able to shift. So it's going to be mostly alpine rock climbing, realistically, particularly these first few years that I transition out of all rock climbing into more alpine um but also it's going to be definitely some snow um of course because the tetons especially after this big huge snow year that the whole western u.s has had there's going to be quite a bit of snow up there to navigate so um it's going to be mixing the bag just a little bit but just enough that it's still comfortable for me that i can still give um reasonable uh, all, all of the security that my clients need and everything that i need to feel comfortable but um yeah, certainly challenge as well. Enough that I'm going to go out on my own several times in the Tetons with partners and try some big snow objectives if they're still around in June. It's the thing that I think is kind of uh, wild is how each, I, I don't want to call them types of climbing, cause they're, they're, but there's almost this pieces building on top of pieces that they become sort of the puzzle pieces or the key that allow you to explore new environments because... You know, mm-hmm. basic multi-pitching combined with longer approaches mm-hmm. and more route finding. Plus the weather. You know, and the weather and da da Now, all of a sudden, it's like a lot of those basics then become alpine rock climbing. And then now you add in snow and ice and, and now it's mixed. And it's almost like, uh, in a weird way, like jazz. <laughs> you know, I could, see, I could totally see that. That's pretty cool. It, yep. Kind of this... this uh the it's very people free form yeah mm-hmm. and it almost is like the this canvas that you get to play with that um the art is is the line uh hmm. and the thing for most part cuz every now and again rocks fall down or you know but the the canvas is still left there but with no art on it but it, it's always been one of those things that's especially you know you're talking like anybody uh putting up a first ascent um they are choosing which way to go right because sure. a lot of times we go for the guidebook and it's like okay and at the tree you go to the left and you know it's like you're it's just true. it's very technical you're just following yeah. um uh, somebody else's roadmap to get there. Mm-hmm. But when you're getting in those alpine environments now, a lot of times it's almost like a canvas that's too big for them to do the step-by-step. So sure. th- there, there's all this kind of like free flow, uh, you know, or free form kind of uh, expression that you get to have yourself. Yeah. It's a pretty interesting because, uh, you know, you had mentioned that people follow, you know, if you're... Yeah. If you're repeating routes, you're often following the previous information from the last from the last uh, ascent party. Whether you're doing the second ascent or the fifty thousandth ascent, um, has there been a fifty thousandth of anything? I don't know. Maybe. Um, and the uh, interesting part about that part is that well, 
the first ascensionist also was just following a line. But then, yeah, like you were saying, though, then that, all of a sudden that changes when you get into more alpine climbing. And again, I just want to reiterate, as I'm not an alpine guide. However, um, as a student of the of the culture, I do know that, for example, on, you know, let's, uh, I think Mount Waddington is a great example. There's only been a, so many ascents of Mount Waddington in the Waddington range. And the all the ascents that have gone up it to try to repeat it have all taken just slightly different routes. Hmm. And often that, I mean, who it could be because of route finding. Just everyone had a little bit different preference on where they should go. Uh, it could be because the literal, I mean, just an enormous rock fall or, or Serac fall event could have happened that totally changed the character of the route. Um, who knows, you know, and all of a sudden you add those things into it. And I think that goes just, again, harpens back to climbing in somewhere like Red Rock, for example, where it's, it's a pretty, uh, uh, stagnant makes it sound terrible, but it's a pretty still environment. Mm -hmm. It's desert. It's, uh, still, there's not a lot of things that change very immediately. Mm -hmm. However, you are still in the mountains and you still have to use mountain sense. You know, it's like any, and it's ironic that, you know, the harder climbs you get on tend to be the more pure lines that are easily identifiable. Mm -hmm. And when you start to do grades around, um, you know, so for example, if you start to go up, uh, the, the, uh, First Creek Slabs mm -hmm. in First Creek Canyon. The reason you find so many bail anchors on the First Creek Slabs is because it's so homogenous. It's the terrain is just, it's so easy to get off route, which if you, you know, read anything from the American Alpine Club's accidents in North American climbing, you'll mm -hmm. see that a large part of accidents, not necessarily the majority, but a very large part tend to be off route. You're getting off route, their leader falls. Mm -hmm. And it's because they're 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 off route, and that that terrain is very hard to read. I can't reiterate enough. I'm not an alpine guy, and the reason mm -hmm. I keep reiterating that is just because it takes an incredible amount of experience, dedication to that craft, and examination in order to be someone who can not only be in that terrain but take people out in it. So mm -hmm. I just want to respect that part of the profession as I'm giving my opinion on this. But um, I want to it, it just I mean the alpine environment and and just the big mountain environment in general in all of its forms is not a predictable place mm -hmm. yeah um and that's i think largely mm -hmm. why um rock climbing and especially here in red rock is mm -hmm. so it's so great because you can get into a big mm -hmm. environment and generally speaking you're pretty much risk-free mm -hmm. mm -hmm. now i say that with a huge caveat and that it, mm -hmm. nothing about this is safe um however uh, you can go out there and, and rock falls rare, um, far more rare than when you mm. put snow and ice on a route. Yeah. And, um, you know, getting benighted doesn't necessarily mean enormously cold temperatures, although if you're here in the winter, it could. Um, and it's it's a pretty cool thing to see when you transition, when you make that transition from rock terrain into other things. Mm -hmm. and And that comes back into even guiding where, rock terrain you know we think rock climbing and the general public will think rock climbing is a climbing gym or a single pitch crag or someone climbing some steep overhanging single pitch route and but i mean rock climbing can happen on the diamond on long's peak and you don't have to climb any snow maybe you have to cross a very small snow field to get to it um but it, it's an enormous thing and that's something we often don't appreciate which then brings us full circle i guess back to just context and technical know-how that mm -hmm. comes from just being in those environments and understanding that they're not the same. Yeah. 
Well, Cody, thanks for having us over to your abode and your van. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, like I'm glad, you know, because obviously anytime you follow somebody and it's like, oh, man, seems like a really cool person. You never know when, when you actually meet somebody, but you've turned out to be actually better in person than you are on Instagram. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Yeah. I've done something right. Good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I really no, but, appreciate but, that. But, but I think it, it, it is like fundamentally the thing of the two things that, that sort of have really come through, you know, in hanging out with you this evening. Number one is there is a lot of thought behind, mm-hmm. you know, like sort of this critical thinking and to to sort of convey this knowledge. But it comes from not a place of I know more than you, mm-hmm. but it's like almost like a here's a problem. Let's this is sort of a way that I've thought about it. Mm-hmm. How do you think about it? And and yeah. it gets these conversations started, um, which I think is, is super cool. And the fact that you just, you know, obviously love climbing is basically, I think, underlying the thing that connects all of us who climb, right? Regardless of how hard you can climb, it's why you can sit around and have a conversation because you, you're going to, I guarantee, you climb harder than I do, um, <laughs> right? And then y- we can have a conversation. And then you'll be meeting people, you know, that climb way harder than you. Yet you still, because it, it has nothing to do with how hard you climb. It's, it's like that sort of shared experience, I think, where it's like, okay, you know, relatively speaking, I know where that person's been, right? It's like we can walk, you know, sort of that proverbial mile in each other's shoes. But I think it's that shared experience. So anyway, thank you. Thank you. I think that I want people to know at the end of the day is that I, I want people to be able to go out and I want them to feel good about pursuing what it is that they want to pursue in the mountains and that they should feel confident and comfortable uh, knowing that they're going to, they should seek out the culture that is going to be comfortable for them and the one that is going to empower them to do exactly the objective that they want to do, no matter what that is, goal or objective. And I um, want to uh, invite people to um, please reach out to me for, for those kind of questions because while I can't get to everything all the time, 100% of the time, because Instagram's not very good at letting you know when those questions get asked, um, that they can reach out to me. And I'm happy to try to answer that context, but I want people to know that context is king or queen and that they need to um, examine a lot of these things for themselves. And the second that we all think that we have that right answer is the second that we should all uh, introspect in that moment and actually consider whether or not we've examined the options that that tool or that piece of knowledge has comes with in terms of context so just let let people know there are resources out there and they should reach out to those people what's your we're going to put in the link uh with the show notes but uh what's your social medias uh so i'm on instagram the cody bradford uh which was never intended to sound that pretentious um it was just as a joke but now it's become a thing so that's what it is um and then i'm also on facebook however i don't really get to that very much instagram is certainly the easiest um, to reach me out on, uh, my website will also be completely finished soon. And I'm hoping to also add multimedia to it nice. in terms of long form videos. And that's codybradford.com. So, and, and if, if somebody wanted to hire you to say, um, guide them up epinephrine, how do they contact you for that? Certainly. So, um, the company I work with, uh, that you can book me through in anywhere is 57 hours. It's the app. Um, you can find me anywhere on that, download my entire calendar, and um, that's the easiest way to find out where I am, when I am, and what is available that I can guide that day. 
So the 57 Hours app. Okay. So we'll put links for all of those in the show notes. And so from uh, Cody's van, we're signing off. Remember, work hard, play dirty. Climb on. See you next time.